0: Christmas is a very interesting time of year. It's interesting because we hear the stories over and over. We repeat the words and the phrases which become almost cliches. It's almost as if you ask a little child what Christmas is and you will say the birthday of Jesus and change the subject to a more vivid interest in Santa Claus. You know the story of the shepherds and the wise men, Mary and Joseph, no room in the inn. You've seen it in creches that are put up every year and in store windows. It become the symbol of what I sometimes call the paste on piety of the season, which is soon packed away when the practice is fulfilled. Oh, it's a glorious time of happy family gatherings and exchange of gifts. There's also the license for great deal of irrational behavior as Jim Bishop once said, for kissing the wrong person with the mistletoe. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not speaking like a Scrooge. I love the Christmas customs, and I confess to being real sentimentalist when it comes to the Christmas tree and the gifts and the carols. I want us today, however, to be realistic about how the legends and customs evolved, what the whole thing should mean for us, or can do so, how we can apply its aims in our practice today. Look back in antiquity, before the Bible and the worship of Yahweh, way back into the early days of the race, primitive man had as his one source of light and warmth the sun, and it was the great thing in his life. He worshiped the sun as God. He had great insecurity about it because he didn't have calendars or clocks or things to remind him of what was going on. Every day in the evening, the sun would fade away and leave. He had a kind of a fear that something was happening. He was close to being without the sun, without the light, without the warmth. Each morning he was satisfied when the sun rose again. This went on almost all the time, so he lived in insecurity. And there came a time in the season of the year when the autumn sun began to fail, and the days grew shorter, and the nights grew longer. I had a secret fear that perhaps the sun would go out forever. You can imagine the joy when the priest or the witch doctor announced that the day was lengthening, and the sun was born again. That change occurred roughly around December 25th. This gave rise to the festival of winter solstice, which far the, the Time of Christmas, the season. A time came when natural phenomena was no longer deified as gods. One invisible god took place the place of many visible ones. But many festivals and rites of solar origin are still with us, entwined into the fabric of modern civilization. As the Romans conquered the world, they brought back to Rome the spoils of wars, among which the gods of the local people. It was incorporated into the Roman religion, which thus became a religion of many gods. One of them was Saturn, and they had a festival every year of Saturnalia. As we look at the records of Saturnalia, it's remarkably like the time of Christmas. The festival of Saturnalia It was a time when they got off work, they had family gatherings, toys for children by a Santa Claus-like figure with a white beard who came down from the north on the festival of the the Feast of Saturn, about December 17th. It seems logical and unlikely that in the early days of Christianity, about the 6th or 7th century, there was a time when they set the date for Christmas. It hadn't been set up to that time. It was set by an obscure Roman historian. probably gave the date that seems logical to him because it was the time of Saturn, December 25th. From then on, December 25th was the time of Jesus' birth, but no one really knows when he was born. There's also the god of Mithra, which he brought back with him from other lands, the Persian god of light, also was celebrated on December 25th. So in this way, the festival of winter solstice was subtly introduced into the Christian faith in the form of a festival in honor of the birth of Jesus. Little do we know that much of the occasion of Christmas and all the celebrations had their origin not in the Bible, not in the time of Jesus. In the years that followed, the Saturnalia and Mithra and various other customs of local people created this legend of Christmas. When we trim the tree with lights, it is a remnant of the rite which was to guide, the sun, to guide the sun back to life. When we eat our plum pudding, it reflects the ancient festival in honor of the sun. And cakes of corn and fruits were laid on the altar, dedicated to the Lord of Light. The most ancient symbol of the sun is a wheel with spokes or rays. The word wheel, interestingly, comes from Y-U-U-L, yule, meaning sun. It's been used as a festival term at the Winter Solstice, and today we speak of the Yule log. Probably in the background of Christmas traditions, we find, first of all, that there are no records telling when Jesus was born. Not even the year is certain. We set our calendars on the basis of AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, 1980, 1990, 1991. Scholars today agree that this was an error in computation. It was at least four or five years earlier. So we we'll are all be wrong when we start singing Happy New Year in 19, 1991. It's really 1995. <laughs> the human creature has always intuitively known the need for transcendent light, evidenced by the widespread observance of the winter solstice from most of the cultures of the Earth in their early times. This is the time when the sun is at the greatest distance from the celestial equator, about December 22nd. Not knowing the actual date of Jesus' birth, it may have been set, and probably was, at this time by design, to symbol the ring fusion of the planet with an energy force, transcendent light, bringing vibratory rhythms to lift the earth to peace on earth, goodwill to men, as sung by the heavenly hosts. Not only is the date of birth not known, the story of the birth, the nativity itself, is up to a serious question. It is agreed by most biblical scholars that the Christmas legends are a result of a few simple facts blown up into scenarios born out of conjecture. Over the centuries, they've been dramatized and sentimentalized not to their fables, but the real meaning is often obscured by the emphasis on materialism, and the grim charade of gift-giving and the unbelievable pressures of conformity, obligation, and downright guilt. Philip Wiley refers to the hopped-up, pressure-laden, status-seeking, competitive degradation of Christmas. We all know what that is. Every once in a while some traditionally religious people say, let's put Christ back into Christmas. They have slogans bearing this this sentiment. Let's put Christ back into Christmas, whatever that means. Imagine back in the days of the Romans, there were those who said, let's put Saturn back into Saturnalia. The problem is not that Christmas is over materialistic. That people abandon the spiritual ideals of the Holy Day for superficial involvement that becomes a holiday. The holiday is the thing that we see most of. We hear very little of the Holy Day. Just a few inconsistencies in Christmas legends in passing that make the analytic study of Christmas difficult. Two versions of the Nativity the one found in the Gospel of Luke and the other in the Gospel of, Mar- of Matthew. Luke's Gospel tells the story of Joseph and Mary coming to Bethlehem and gave birth to the child and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. The word inn, because we tend to take words from the Bible and read into them meanings that have come along later in years, the word inn conjures up an English pub or Howard Johnson Motel with. Loud laughing revellers in the bar. But the inn, as we find it in the Gospels, refers to a cane. K-H-A-N, Cane. A protective enclave. Nothing more or less than a fence or a wall. trying an open area where they put put their cattle and their horses and their animals to protect them from the wolves and from passing thieves. There were no rooms in the inn. The people slept on the ground. That scripture itself that has become traditional is misleading. It says there were no rooms for them in the inn. It probably originally said there were no rooms in the inn for them. There were no rooms. So the innkeeper, (laughs) innkeeper who has been classically pilloried as a hard-hearted businessman, was probably a very compassionate person who found a cave for them in the hills to get them out of the storm find a place for the birth of Jesus. It's just an indication of how much of the legend of Christmas has been glamorized and overemphasized and over-sentimentalized, for it doesn't make any sense anymore. Here's the Matthew scenario. The wise men, are also called three kings, three magi, they were students of astrology. It says, We have seen a star in the east and have come to worship the Savior. So we've always seen the picture painted for us of a star up in the sky leading them over to the place where Jesus lay. There's nothing in the scripture that says that at all. You have seen a star in the east, if you look at it logically. They were in the east, and if they saw a star in the east, they'd be traveling in the other direction, away from Jerusalem. There was not an astronomical star, but an astrological sign of the zodiac, which led to Bethlehem, and they brought gifts of gold. He'd seen the star in the studies and the writings of their astrological findings. What are we saying? Christmas is a fraud? Of course not. But the true Christmas is not based on conjecture or fantasy, a story that, like a movie you watch for an hour and have a good cry over it and go out into lives of routine that's not the least bit changed by the experience. The essential message of Christmas He's putting the poignant words of the medieval mystic Brother Angelus. He says, Though a thousand Christ a thousand times in Bethlehem be born, if he's not born in thee, thy soul is all forlorn. It's talking about inner birth, an inner awakening, a transcendental experience. Not simply playing with a lot of cliches and legends. There's a time when we have a chance to see life, in larger context, see it's a beautiful season of love and sharing, pulling out all the best stops in our nature, engaging in what I call practical Christmasing. Christmas and all its legends are about the activity of God moving through the minds and hearts of people. And there's no season, there's no age, that same process moves in our hearts today. And what's the point of Christmas as a season as observance then? Tell we have another opportunity for the brief season in which transcendent level of people at their zenith people have a chance to express from the highest level. We all see this. heard someone on the news and television last night saying that Christmas is a special time because people stand holding the door open for you. they pick up things for you if you drop them on the street. They step back when you're getting on the subway. Someone said it doesn't happen very long. It's a season when there's something that pulls out the best stops, like like an organ playing, releases the higher nature of man, at least more of it than we've ever seen. Someone said, if there were no Christmas, we'd have to invent one. Christmas is like an oasis in a strife-torn world. When we hear someone say, cynically, look what the world is coming to, we can say instead, look what is coming into the world. The great idea that Christmas should symbolize is the rebirth of light into the world. you awakening in people to the dynamic potential of their God-self. At the time of the winter solstice, that point when the sun is farthest away from the earth, there's more darkness than any other time of the year. This could be metaphysical. In the time of our greatest darkness, in the midst of our troubles and tribulations, and the threat of war hangs heavy over our heads. Under so much commotion and confusion, and downright crime and darkness in the cities, it's a time when we open our consciousness to what becomes a Christ Mass, a celebration, in the inner light. It's said that in every person there's a tiny spark, which one may desecrate but never quite lose. In the hardest and most criminal of persons, a tiny spark is still the basis of their life. All through their lives, covering the spark, as Jesus said, under a bushel. You need is to stand up and let your light shine, just a little bit more than before. Release that hidden potential of light, understanding, and peace. The question is, can you accept this cosmic insight? And you believe that on Christmas Eve, there will be a burst of transcendent light, not a star up in the skies, not a flashing something outside somewhere, but a releasing of the light from within yourself. Let your light shine, said Jesus. Jesus was singing over this experience when he said, In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended not. There is a true light that lighteth every man coming into the world. For so long, people have been fighting their way through the darkness, sometimes acting as in Christ-like as the lowliest of creatures. But people have always dreamed, in their higher moments, of their potential for good, in themselves and in others. I was reminded of the medieval play by Josephine Preston Peabody. It was a play set in medieval times called The Wolf of Gubbio, which is based on a legend about St. Francis. And the wolf, who is the central figure in the play, stood on the hilltop, overlooking the valley, down the foot of which there was a lighted house, and the family was having their Christmas celebrations, their marvelous meal together. And the wolf is sighing there's a desire, especially in, in this beast, to become a man. He wonders how it would feel to sit with men and share their meal. Later in the play, there's a meeting with Saint Francis. The wolf confesses his shame and guilt. The other is his longing to be a man. Or Francis confesses his own wolfish sins. The play goes on in this line, and then there's a poignant scene in which the wolf pulls up, saying, "I don't want to be a man." and men stop acting like wolves. But the climax of the play takes place on Christmas Eve, in the influence of the love of St. Francis, is the dissolving of the fear and antagonism, the an act of heartfelt contrition, who often its place in the ranks of love and brotherhood. This play, in a symbolic way, deals with the rebirth of light, the lifting of the bestial nature of people to the awesomeness of the inherent divinity. This is what Christmas is all about. Something that actually happens in you, something that expresses through you. Not just something thing you celebrate with outer festivities and ringing jingle bells and singing songs. Something that takes place within you, rising up to a higher level of your nature. That's what Christmas is all about. In other words, if we take seriously the little celestial spark of light in every person, commit ourselves to a turning up of the light like a rheostat, as high as we can. In a time that you don't feel threatened, you don't feel fearful, you're not afraid that somebody will misuse your light, you let your light shine. During the Christmas season, perhaps we're able to do that more than any other time. You realize that a meeting such as this is not an end, but a preparation for work to be done, which comes next. I love the story of a man attending a meeting in a Quaker meeting house. I well, the slightest idea of what the Quakers do. He sat there in this long silence, Nothing was going on. He kept looking around through the the rise rise coast. No one's getting up front speaking. No preaching, no singing. Just sitting. He was puzzled. And he couldn't stand any longer. He leaned over to the man next to him and said, when does the service begin? The man replied, when the meeting is over. That's the spirit of the Quakerism. That's the heart and root of the concept of what Christmas really is. In the same way, true Christmas begins when the day of celebration is over. There's a sleeves rolled up work to be done, a new consciousness to reveal, a new light to shine. We pray that things will happen out here, that people will be better, nations will get along with one another, that we will be wrong well no more, it's all outside. What about you? What about me? A new consciousness, a new light. Can we give it expression? Can we let it unfold? Can we turn up the grave stand? The greater focus of light screening from us. Something that light is a thing that we're going to be talking about a great deal in the coming year. As some of you noted in our recent issue of centerpiece. We announced the Circle of Light program, which we're going to follow throughout all nineteen ninety one. We're going to introduce this program on Sunday, January the fifth. Hope you'll join us. Circle of Light. It's a tremendous an important opportunity for us all to be a part of something very great. You may think it's too idealistic. But a society that can put man on the moon, send back pictures of Saturn's rings and Jupiter's moons, can certainly be ready to explore new steps in a rebirth of light, to actually see the middle atmosphere of the planet with new thoughts of transcendent significance. Something I believe that we can all do and we will do we could read the hopes and fears, the deep-seated beliefs, and states of mind of mankind as a whole, see into the consciousness, and help with a collective prototype of the consciousness of man, we could accurately forecast the trends of mankind for years to come. Predestination, you say? I mean of the sort. See, the fullness of time, in terms of our readiness to receive, not God's readiness to give. And giving us on the part of the divine is always there, ready to fill us and fulfill us to the degree of our acceptance, our readiness. Every year at the Winter Solstice, the season around December 25th, is the fullness of time for the world. It's a divine appointment. But the question is, will we keep the appointment? Is the night dawning? Are we seeing? The angel voices are singing and we're listening. There's a movement of life within us, and we're responding. It in sadness and humbleness a little to find that some of the earliest creatures engaged in this festival of light, festival of the Monticellus, engaged in a conscious awareness of the importance of light and the desire to fill up their hearts with light and become a creature of light, to walk in the light. That's been a part of the culture of the race, time immemorial. It's probably only since we've been having such elaborate celebrations of Christmas we've forgotten about the light that comes from our us. We've been gazing in the light on the outside, sitting in the radiant light of, of a beautiful picture in a, a store window, a crash or a Christmas display. using the light of the joy of receiving presents and giving gifts, all of which is fine and beautiful. Engaging in the light that comes when we See people engaged in some sort of a drama on television or even a messiah that we listen to in the auditorium. All of which is fine. The thing is, is to get so involved in the outer involvement, tolerating ourselves with the feelings of compassion and joy that comes from the outside, we lose sight of the fact of the light that springs from within. For light is a universal radiant power. There's no light out there in the world. The world is dark. The light comes from within man. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, says the Bible. You're the candle of the Lord. You're the radiant expression of light. Let your light shine. It's a tremendous idea. Sometime during this Christmas season, today or tomorrow, or it's Tuesday, take a moment somewhere. Just get still. Close your eyes. Run out all the the jingle bells and the sound of music and the things that have been titillating their senses with gifts to receive and give. Just for a moment, put on that on the outside. Send your attention on the little spark of light within, which is always present, no matter how you may have desecrated it. Turn up the rheostat, let the light shine. See yourself as a radiant glowing of light, a blessing of light in your world, in your home, in your relationships, in your office, in in the world around you and your concerns about the world of peace. Just be an instrument of light for a while. Then you can go back to your Christmas observance. It will have more meaning, it will be more fulfilling, it will be more joyous. But you will know that it won't be over when Christmas Day is over. We can hear you through the ear because it's not something that's giving to you, it's something you're giving, creating the expression. How often, how easily, we say Merry Christmas. Certainly have a merry time. This is not enough. In your heart, get the sense of the flowing forth of light, festival of light. Think to one another, happy Christmas of light. You when you add the of light in your own consciousness, you may not say it outwardly, but feel it. The blessing of light that you give to another person when you see him in the light of consciousness, of peace and of love. This is what I call practical Christmasing. Practical Christmasing not observing Christmas, not celebrating Christmas on the outside, not engaging in the Christmas charade, but a practical Christmasing, we the light shine in your work and in your relationships throughout all the world. In this consciousness, Merry Christmas of Light. Let's be still for just a moment. Let's realize with no depth of understanding, Christmas is a challenge. It's a work to be done. A only role to play. A light to express. Christmas is an opportunity to be something more. So easily we can forget that as we resolve to remember it. You dwell in the light, the light flows forth through you. Remember the word. I, in the Sanskrit, is the word ayin, A-Y-I-N, which means fountain. Your eye is a fountain, not just to see light outside, but to become what Emerson calls a transparent eyeball. Let the light shine through your eyes. You see with light. You see things and people and circumstances with the consciousness of light, and you have a powerful blessing. let a big make a commitment. The hours to come to the Christmas Day will be established in the light. Let the light of the Christ Spirit shine through us. And if we do, it will be the most beautiful, most wonderful Christmas we've ever known. It will be the beginning of a year long experience of walking in the light. So be it.